Welcome to Partnering Leadership, a top global leadership podcast for purpose-driven leaders with a growth mindset, seeking to learn from the leadership journey of changemakers and business insights from leading global thinkers. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at PartneringLeadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Welcome to Partnering Leadership. I am so excited to have you along with me on this journey of learning and growth and so incredibly honored that you choose to take your time, listen to these conversations, benefit and grow from the insights that the magnificent change makers and the thought leaders share. So I'm excited and can't wait to continue to go along this journey with you as I am learning from the guests as well as learning from you. So keep your comments coming, mahanatmahantavakoli.com. There's a microphone icon on partneringleadership.com. Really enjoy those voice messages. Now, a couple of logistical changes. We're going to keep our conversation releases to Tuesdays with a Thursday refresh the first Thursday of every month. As you know, the first Tuesday of every month, I share with you some of my own leadership thoughts and perspectives. Starting this past January, I started focusing the episodes on the exponential change that we are experiencing in our organizations, careers, and our lives as a result of artificial intelligence. I think it's essential for all of us to inform ourselves about artificial intelligence, the potential positives that it will have in our lives, our careers, our organizations, and our society, and also mindful of the guardrails that we need to put in place to avoid the potential negatives. There is a lot of hype. However, this transformation will be one that I truly believe will be the most transformative of our lives, filled with uncertainty as well as opportunity. Bill Gates, who knows a thing or two about artificial intelligence, wrote that this will be as revolutionary as mobile phones and the internet. Tom Friedman, in a column called Our New Promethean Moment, wrote that he could barely sleep after getting a demo of GPT-4. Friedman wrote, We are entering one of those moments in history when certain new tools, ways of thinking, or energy sources are introduced that are such a departure and advance on what existed before that you have to change everything incredibly powerful statements. I wholeheartedly agree with that, which is why I will continue to bring you thought leaders on artificial intelligence. From later on this month, a conversation with Yuval Atzman out of McKinsey's London office, who leads AI strategy and strategic thinking using AI, two conversations with many more leaders in the artificial intelligence field. In addition to those conversations, I want to continue focusing these first Tuesday conversations on AI. So I reached out to one of the past guests 
who has written a lot about AI, who is thinking about AI, experimenting with it, and who is continuing to write about it. And that's Tom Tully. And I asked Tom to join me in these first Tuesday conversations for us to talk about the latest happenings in AI and what they mean for us as we guide our teams and organizations into the future. So in the conversation I had with Tom Tully for this month's episode, we talked about GPT-4's release, the plugins and the significance those plugins have, Microsoft's Copilot, Google's Bard and incorporating AI technology into Office tools such as Google Docs and Sheets, and Sam Altman's concerns. Sam Altman is the CEO of OpenAI about AI's disruptive impact and how leaders of organizations and teams can keep up with the changes in AI. So there is a lot to learn from this conversation and I look forward to hearing more of your thoughts and comments. Send them to me, mahanatmahantavikoli.com or leave voice messages on partneringleadership.com. I'm really excited as we go through this transformation together, learning and making sure we can take positive advantage of the opportunities ahead for ourselves, our teams, and our organizations. Now, here is my conversation with Tom Tully. Tom Tully, welcome back to Partnering Leadership. I am thrilled to have you with me. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Tom, you are the first person that is a repeat guest in 250 episodes, in part because I truly see this as a transformative moment for humanity, including for our organizations. And you do an outstanding job in both explaining artificial intelligence and its impact for businesses, as well as keeping up to date. So that's why I'm thrilled as we get to have these conversations because the field is moving so fast. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the technology business for a lot of my life and I've never seen things move this fast before. I can't imagine if someone is not into this business, I don't know how they could keep track of everything. I can barely <laughs> keep track of what's going on. I feel the same way, Tom. Yeah. I feel overwhelmed yeah. every morning. Yeah. Yeah. When I see the tools that use artificial mm -hmm. intelligence, and some of them are magnificent, and I'm like, oh mm -hmm. my God, you need full time just to focus on <laughs> different tools that are coming out every day. Yeah, we need more hours in the day. That's what we need. And technology hasn't done that yet. Tom, when we talked last, we were talking about how incredible GPT 3.5 was and its potential. Mm -hmm. OpenAI introduced GPT 4. When I saw the video, it was mind boggling. I'm sure a lot of the audience members have seen the video where from the image of a napkin, GPT 4 produced a website. So there was no need for coding. So would love to get your take and understanding of what is different with GPT 4 as what some were exposed to in GPT 3.5? The original GPT 3 was basically a large language model, just language only. So you would type in a question or some type of prompt and it'll generate content. This is multimodal. And that's a fancy word for saying it's more than just writing. You can also use images. Now there was talk of video. We haven't seen the video part, but at some point probably get video. 
So like you said, you can take an image and go to text or create a website or use text and create an image or, or a video. And so it's more powerful, more generalized system for generative AI. But they've also added other things to it as well that in terms of things that you may not see improve the accuracy of the models and the power for reasoning as well. So there was a lot to this new version and we'll see how it plays out. But so far, it's pretty impressive. So what do you see as potential uses that now this GPT-4 will have? Yeah, there's been so much happening. It can get overwhelming with all the new developments and so forth. So businesses will start using it, get creative with it, but it'll probably be something similar to the way Excel is. I remember years ago, Microsoft did a survey with its customers and they asked them, what features do you want in Office and Excel and Word? And a lot of the features people said they wanted already existed in the software. What's going to happen is people will use 5% of what's there and the capabilities. Unless a company is going to go and do some pretty intensive training, which would probably be a good idea. What's going to happen is businesses will hit on a few features and functions or those they've seen or they talk to other people. Microsoft Copilot, I do think, shows some insight into how businesses would use this. It could be used to summarize emails. It could be used to generate emails based on what you had to prioritize. A lot of it seems to be about emails. How much of our day do we spend reading, responding to emails, keeping track of emails? If companies could find a way to streamline that, there's some big improvements for a business. So I do think something as mundane is emails could be the killer application for the GPT-4. There can be other, like you said, you could create a website with someone writing it on a napkin. That's cool. I don't know how often people are going to do that, but every day we write emails or we create documents. The other thing too is presentations. We do so many presentations in our daily work and it's not intuitive to create animations. A lot of people just don't know how to create animations or to create some compelling images, things like that into the presentation. So I just think actually some of the simpler functions will be those that make a big difference. And you'll always have the power users out there, but for most people, it'll be fairly simple, but it will be transformative to their work. So you mentioned the Microsoft Copilot and Google is also incorporating AI technology into their office tools. You mentioned email, you mentioned presentations. How else do you see artificial intelligence impact work and collaboration using these tools? Part of what makes it where organizations are not as agile is just the amounts of busy work that needs to be done. Things that are repetitive, things that tedious. And those are the things computers are just really good at. So Microsoft has something called Power Automate. Now there's something called robotic process automation, which is what you can automate certain processes in, in an organization. It could be as simple as cut and paste. We cut and paste this into our CRM, into our ERP. There's all these types of things that just really tedious and activities, but suck up so much time. But creating a bot to automate that is actually complicated and requires some programming. But with generative AI and the chat GPT systems, it could be more of just you type what you want the system to do or create a bot that cut and paste this type of information over to this and voila, it does it. You don't have to do any coding. You don't need to know JavaScript or anything. And then it does it. You can test it. It works great. And then I want to do it this time every day. Okay, boom. And so I do think automation or these next generation RPA tools will go a long way in helping that. And it will be so much easier because the interface is just natural language. So you don't have to learn really anything 
If you could speak English or speak whatever language you, you speak, because it'll understand any language, then it'll create these automations in your system and improve the business. Because the other thing is you could take software out of the box, but those types of solutions only go so far. Every organization is different. They have different processes and policies and so forth. So you need some customization. So that's where creating these bots are important. And generative AI is going to make that a lot easier. And we're going to have a lot more automation in our workplace. And that leaves people more time to spend on things that are more important than these tedious and mundane activities that do suck up a lot of time. When we want to travel at this point still, <laughs> it's helpful to learn the language of the country we are traveling to. And in the past, when I wanted to use PowerPoint or Excel or the CRM in the company, I needed to learn the language of PowerPoint, the language mm -hmm. of Excel, telling Excel what I wanted to do, but in Excel's language, not in my language. Right. Now it sounds like with generative AI, we can have conversations with these tools mm -hmm. and get them to do what we want them to do in our language, not in their language. That's right. That's powerful. Because today there are these power users that are great at creating macros and scripts, but there's only so many of them out there and they just may not have time to do what you need to be done. So what happens is people just rely on these processes, whereas they could create their own automations and save a lot of time for themselves without having to rely on someone. They don't have to go and learn this or they don't have to rely on someone within the organization. It usually doesn't have the time to create a bot for that. That's interesting. So in certain respects, the way I see this is that it will benefit people that have the creativity of thinking and not hamper them if they don't understand the interactions with technology. For a couple of decades, people who have been able to best understand the technology have had a huge advantage. They're the ones that have been able to leverage the technology. Now, yeah. it seems like the field has been equalized. Therefore, the advantage goes to the people who can think more creatively and ask more creative questions of mm -hmm. whatever the technology tool is. Yeah, it's a democratization of technology, which is a huge development, very important. And it's really important for companies. Again, people need to know that these functions exist. Once you do it, it's pretty natural. So companies will need to do a little bit more training. Copilot Microsoft will have its own videos and so forth and how to use this type of system. But you need to reinforce that within the company because old habits die hard. Um, the other lesson too is, is change management is critical. Technology falls apart when you don't have effective change management. There's a lot of anxiety with many of the CEOs and executive teams that have conversations with lack of clarity with what's going to happen. Now, mm -hmm. one of the things that I would love for you to share some of your thoughts about is the significance of plugins. Mm -hmm. So it sounds based on what some people have been able to find out, OpenAI hasn't talked much about it yet and hasn't released it, is that there are already 80 plus plugins that have been developed to work off of GPT-4 and many more will be. What are plugins and how can they help us and organizations tap into mm -hmm. the power of GPT-4? So the plugins are 
integrations. So it's an existing piece of software. So if I have a CRM or whatever type of application, a lot of those applications have integrations with other systems so they can communicate with those systems and work smoothly with those systems. It, it makes it easier for me that if there's an existing plugin, so if I use a certain type of software, I'm familiar with that certain type of software, I could use that plugin and then start getting some of the benefits of this type of generative AI. It's really beneficial to the software vendors because it makes it easy for them to extend that capability to make it available to their customers. And what will happen is that get ready because we're just going to see a lot of natural language interfaces starting to emerge. So it's a way for OpenAI to make it as easy as possible to spread this technology and to educate the market about how to use this type of approach of using prompts to get things that you want, whether it's to create a blog, whether it's to create an automation or whatever it is you want to do, it can all be done with just writing natural language. But for an application to support that, using this plugin can make it possible. So I was reading, Tom, about plugins specifically enabling organizations to have their people interact with their own internal data built off of the conversational format and power of chat GPT, which in my mind be transformative. One of the things that has been really hard for companies for as long as I've been involved in business is knowledge management. There are different bits and pieces of information in different parts of the organization or different parts of the IT infrastructure. How do you visualize that working plugins, enabling teams and organizations to have a conversation with the information from mm -hmm. inside their company? Yeah, you're raising a point. So I talked to Morgan Stanley. They're one of the companies that have been working with OpenAI and GPT-4 for some of the applications that they're developing. And what they've developed, or it's still in the process of being developed right now, is making it for their financial advisors to get access to information that is generally, it's all there. But again, like you said, people just don't know how to use it or get value out of it. So what they've done is taken all that information. It's not client information. It's research report. It's reports, analysis. It's a lot of those documents. And then they leverage the open AI models to make it easier to work with. So knowledge management is not just about finding a piece of information. There's search systems that can do that today. Okay? The next level of that is that you have this information and how can it help answer my questions? How can it help solve my problems? So that's where the power of this model is. It's not just about querying the database and getting some info, but it's a getting insight out of that based on complicated scenarios. That's very interesting. This sticks to internal organizational information, mm -hmm. making sure that the data that is provided and the answers that are provided are robust. Not to say it's always perfect, but at least it's your information and it's gone through your own process. You mentioned the OpenAI presentation for the demo that they had for GPT-4. This president, Rockman, he did one situation with taxes and with the prompt, he put in a document from the IRS. IRS regulations. Most people don't know how to read a IRS regulation, much less understand how it applies. Even tax preparers may not even know how this works, but he put it in there, put in this long document, complicated information, and asked it some tough questions and got the correct answers. So that's the difference here. It's getting value out of that information and 
interpretation out of that information that is usually generally complicated. So just imagine doing that for medical documents or research. Just think of all the medical research that's out there. Just so much of it. Even experts in the field have a hard time keeping track of it, but generative AI could do that. So it's interesting, Tom, with specialization, we have added complexity to both the words that are used and the way concepts are communicated. So whatever field you think about, as you mentioned, whether in the medical field or technology, aerospace, people that have spent decades in the field are the ones that understand it, read the paper and understand it. This way, it sounds like pretty much any information can be translated in a way that the normal person can understand the intent or what to do with it rather than just someone that has spent decades studying in that field. Again, it's about democratization. I had a conversation with Louis Rosenberg and he mentioned augmented reality and how our future will be augmented. Just today, I was reading about three students from Stanford University, which have combined GPT-4 with Whisper and augmented reality Mm -hmm. glasses to create what they call Riz GPT, which listens in real time to conversations and then guides the person who's wearing them on what Mm. to say next to be more charismatic. Oh, wow. So it's it's marrying that augmentation with the conversational capabilities that exist Mm -hmm. in a GPT-4. I found it mind-boggling. Yeah, there was an example in the pre-GPT-4 era, which is that long ago. There's a company called Do Not Pay. It's an online service that tries to get rid of your subscriptions you don't want or handle a, a traffic ticket or something like that. So what they had was for a traffic ticket and traffic court, and they were going to have someone use a GPT-3 system to guide that person into deal with the judge and to basically say, this is what you should say. This is how you should respond to this question and so forth. And it caused so much controversy that they had to pull back because the local bar wanted to sue them or put them in prison or something like that. It's going to come to the point where, yeah, this will be augmented intelligence that you hook it up to some glasses and the earphone and it could make you sound a lot smarter than you really are. (laughs) It does make it interesting because at the same time, I've seen some tools that allow people to automate conversations. For example, they have in dating apps, it adjusts to the profile of the person that you're having a conversation with. Mm -hmm. And in essence, the chat bot determines based on this person's personality, what would appeal to them most Mm has a conversation with them. So it gets into gray areas with respect to when is it us and when are we augmented and when are we being replaced to allow AI to make the decision making for us. Yeah, kind of like that movie, Her, we're pretty much there. Figuring out what's human and what's not will be a big question going forward. To that end, Tom, Sam Altman had a great, very long conversation with Lex Friedman. He is positive about the potential of AI. He mentioned that he believes we're closer to artificial general intelligence than many assume. But one of the things that he mentioned is that we as a society 
are not having the conversations we need to have that this thing, even at the GPT-4 level, will be truly transformative and impact significantly. Most of our jobs, I believe 80% plus of our jobs will be impacted Mm -hmm. and almost half of the jobs will be significantly impacted as a result. And we haven't had those conversations. Would love to get your thoughts. Yogi Berra said, Making predictions is hard, especially about the future. That's right. We'd love to know your thoughts at this point with respect to the disruption that this level of generative AI is going Mm -hmm. to cause for our organizations and in the community. Yeah, Yogi, I don't know what it was, but he had something for everything. And uh, whatever he said could be applied to generative AI. What happens is it's the crying wolf syndrome about lost jobs that this fear has been around since the 50s. IBM actually avoided getting into AI research because they feared that they would be associated with killing jobs. And that was the case for a lot of other software vendors or computer vendors at the time. There's always this talk about lost jobs and it just never happens. But past is not a prediction of the future financial advisor would tell you or should tell you. And because it hasn't happened, we're clearly not prepared for it. It's like one of those things, yeah, it will happen. It probably won't happen to me as uh, it usually is, but it could happen to you. And what's different is this is about knowledge work. The automation in the past has been more physical work. Robots on an assembly line is one of the first major examples of this in the auto industry. And they did have devastating impacts, globalization, all these types of trends with automation have had huge impacts, mostly on physical labor. This time it's knowledge labor. So when GPT-4 came out, and if I'm thinking about the applications about jobs, the one area I would have looked at in that report that OpenAI published about the GPT-4 was all the exams they aced. The bar exam was top 10%, biology exam for AP. These are not easy exams. And by the way, the first computer software company I started was an exam preparation. So (laughs) I never thought this would happen, but... It's happening. Now, passing exam does not make you a lawyer or a doctor, but it does tell you that the reasoning capabilities and the knowledge capabilities of these systems are advancing at a very extreme pace. And if you're an employer, and this has always been the case, again, with physical labor, if a robot costs me $50,000, but an employee costs me $70,000, but it's actually $100,000 when you add benefits, I'm going to go with the robot. If ChatGPT cost me 20000 and a knowledge worker cost me 70000 we know what's going to happen. And there's a lot of jobs that are about knowledge that, to me, can be automated. Now, it will take some fine-tuning, but it'd probably be worth automating. So while the long-term, maybe it creates more jobs than not, but the short-term disruption could be severe because people have a tough time transitioning. We've always seen this. Reskilling and transitioning to new careers or new ways of doing things has always been very challenging. And at least in the United States, we're really not good at having programs to do that. So if this technology advances the way it is, the impact on society can be very substantial. And I don't think in a necessarily positive way for a lot of people. And what that could create is resentment against technology and those who are selling this. Sam Altman says, that's beneficial. Yeah, I own 10% of OpenAI. <laughs> I would find it very beneficial. But if I'm that customer support person and I have a family to feed, I'm not sure if I'm finding that beneficial. So I don't want to be overly dystopian. These types of predictions have always been wrong in the past when it's come to AI and knowledge work. But I do feel this time we're in different territory. And I do think we need to take this much more seriously than we have been. 
I really appreciate the point that you make, Tom. I'm optimistic with respect to some of the potential of the technology. However, just saying that because past technological uh, revolutions have not resulted in job losses, therefore this won't, is not the right approach to it. You have to have the conversation around what it will impact, who it will impact, and try to address that as a society. Not if 50 years from now, we look back, we see that new jobs were created because it's possible for a lot of people to be left behind. And I also agree with you that this is different up to this point. We've had transitions that have taken human labor and force. This is impacting taking out human intellect. I don't think there is much beyond that that I know of. That's right. Human force, I know human intellect. Maybe we'll figure out something that's above that. But that can be really significant for us as a society. Before we started recording, I mentioned to you that I've been involved and very familiar with organizations and groups that are focused on retraining and training people who are underserved to access jobs. And one of the things that has been funded and they have pushed for the most has been some basic coding skills. And the one thing that Sam Altman said in that conversation is second to customer service roles that he thought would most likely get eliminated in vast majority of organizations. He said, a lot of coding jobs will disappear, Mm -hmm. except for the people at the very top of the field. Yeah, part of this is that it's the nature of coding because a lot of coding is cut and paste. The little dirty secret about coding is cut and paste. They go to Stack Overflow and they have these repositories and all these frameworks and stuff. And it's kind of piecing together Legos. Obviously, you still need understanding how to use the coding, but that's something that can be automated. It is being automated for the high-powered coding, that's probably not yet in the realm of computers. It probably won't get there. But how many of those types of coders do you need? That's a big question mark. I don't know the answer to that question. It could actually be that you need more of those because companies will have solved this problem. But how do you find those people? Coding is not the easiest thing in the whole world. And you have people that have these fancy computer science degrees, and they're not necessarily the best coders. Back in the 80s, Bill Gates had this 10x principle. It was the difference between a programmer and a really good programmer is off the charts. And if he found one of those, he would do whatever he could to hire. He'd give him anything they wanted. So it's a really fascinating category of employment, but it's probably just like anything. The difference between a baseball player versus someone in the minor leagues is usually pretty significant versus just a regular amateur. But I've looked at these coding tools are absolutely amazing and they're getting better and better. seems like every month or every two months, you get more capabilities. And it shouldn't be surprising either because we've had this huge shortage of qualified programmers. So what's going to happen? Companies are going to look for ways to automate and find alternatives. And that's what's happening. So that's one of the areas that will be impacted. But would love to get your thoughts, Tom, as we mentioned, even in the couple of months that have passed since we had the conversation, it's our initial conversation is almost like a lifetime has passed (laughs) in AI. There isn't a day when I don't see news Uh, related to the applications that just boggles my mind, the exponential rate of growth and its impact. So how would you recommend for professionals, for leaders of teams and leaders of organizations to try to keep up enough with this so (laughs) they don't become 
irrelevant, yeah. have their teams not be able to use the technology and the potential mm-hmm. or their organizations, their business models to become irrelevant. You still need a, a foundation to work off of. You don't have to understand how a deep learning model works at its intricate details, but you should have a basic idea of how they operate, what is machine learning, some basic statistics and probability. It reminds me when I was in high school, I got to meet uh, Bill Gates several times and I asked him that question, what should I do? This is back in the early 80s. What should I do? What should I learn? Basically, this is what he told me. It really hasn't changed since then. Basic math and statistics and we should all know that stuff because it's important. So you have a good basis to work off of and it's easier to evaluate what's happening in the real world. Just even Google News and having a filter for generative AI, going there every morning, and if a headline sounds interesting, maybe read that article, so read a few articles a day, that'll probably keep keep you in the as to what's happening. But I do think having some basic reskilling of the workforce for some of those basic uh, subjects can be really helpful because you still need to interpret the information evaluate it, apply it, understand where there might be problems with this information. So that's where the basics can go a long way in helping that company or organization get through this. The other thing is not to create your own GPT-4 project. It's actually a pretty involved process. No problem experimenting with it a little and checking it out and playing around with it. But if you want to do a GPT-4 project, you need data scientists. You need some serious resources to do that. So if you want to start using this technology in your workplace, go check out Copilot if you have the Office system. Look at some of the features. If you have Power Automate or thinking about it, check it out and see how that can work for you. So I would rely at this point on vendor tools and not do the custom projects. Probably more of a waste of resources and time and money. And there are lots of great tools that are being built off of what's already out there with their GPT-4, with the plugins that are being added. So Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Learn the basics behind it. And with that, experiment, but experiment not building your own. Experiment Mm -hmm. using the many tools that are out there. Some of them will thrive. Some of them won't. Mm -hmm. Literally every day, Tom, I'm seeing dozens, if not hundreds of different AI tools, many of them doing identical things. And that's I, right. That's true. Some will survive. Many won't. You don't need to recreate that wheel within your organization. You just need to know how to use it for your organization. Yeah, there's a lot of hype. So a lot of companies are suddenly now generative AI companies or chat GPT yes. companies <laughs> when they're really not. And just a few months ago, Sequoia had a chart, generative AI companies, and you could fit it on one page. Now you need pages. And that's another problem, evaluating the products. You know, a lot of them do have trials, free trials. That's one way of testing it out. But it's, it is getting to the point where it's hard to figure out what's real and what's not. I appreciate you helping the audience find out what's real, what's not. You write on tomtolly.com, share your insights on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I will link to those in the show notes as well. And really appreciate it because it's mind-boggling how fast this pace of change is. The other recommendation I have for the audience is you don't need to read everything to try to understand it. Find a few good, credible sources 
and you, Tom Tully, are a good, credible <laughs> source. There are lots of people Thanks. running around saying this is how <laughs> you can make money off of ChatGPT, <laughs> become a millionaire. They could <laughs> become millionaires. They would have become millionaires themselves. They wouldn't be promoting <laughs> it. So find a few good people that understand the technology and then can explain what the potential of it is, which is why I am thrilled <laughs> to continue having these conversations with you, yeah. Tom, learn from you and share some of your insights with the partnering leadership community. Thank you so much, Tom Tully. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review of the podcast on your favorite podcasting app and forward the conversation to a friend or colleague so you can help more people discover their purpose, grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com.